And, th- and the thing is, is that the critical issues that that a cyber attack might impact on it in, a, in the maritime environment are probably a bit more concerning. So I suppose if you had a ransomware attack against business, land-based business, they're going to be able to, they're not going to be able to do, say it's a bank. So they say they have a ransomware attack. They maybe they can't transact. They're going to lose some money. But if a ransomware attack on a ship means that the, the crew can't control the ship, you know, and they could you know, run into something, they could sink. You know, there's all sorts of safety issues. And at the same time, that sort of ability to impact maritime trade is something that's very attractive to the state actors. I mean, you think about traditional wars, um, you know, we used to blockade harbours. You know, you put your ships outside a harbour to blockade it, and that was actually, it's still considered an act of war. You could do that with cyber. Welcome to the Maritime Risk Podcast brought to you by Shoreline Limited, the provider of innovative marine insurance solutions for the shipping industry. Our purpose is to explore the evolving risks within the maritime industry, including environmental, geopolitical, socioeconomic, and security threats such as cyber attacks, war, and terrorism, as well as the more traditional accidents, navigational and operational incidents, and other causes of business disruption. We'll speak with experts to help you prepare for the unexpected and navigate the complex world of the ever-evolving maritime risk environment. Welcome to Shoreline's Maritime Risk Podcast, where we deep dive into the digital depths of cybersecurity and technology. I'm your host, Captain Thomas Brown, and today we're thrilled to have a very special guest with us, Professor Stephen McCombie, a renowned expert in maritime IT security and a veteran in the field of cybercrime. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks, Thomas. Great to be here. Stephen, your background is incredibly diverse, spanning from policing to academia, and you've been at the forefront of cybersecurity for two decades now. Can you tell us a bit about your journey into this cyber realm? Yeah, sure, Thomas. So, yeah, I've been working in cybersecurity for for 25 years now and basically started out as a police detective working in the state police in in Sydney and in Australia, investigating those very early computer crimes in the 1990s. And that was really interesting. We had to work out ways of actually doing investigations, doing forensics, being able to understand how to track someone across the, the internet. So very much focused on the the, the adversaries, the, the actual people trying to commit the crimes. I, I then moved into industry, worked work for IBM, and I was lucky enough to run their uh, CERT, their computer emergency response team, and looked after not just IBM itself internally, this is in Australia, but also all their customers. So we had banks, we had health uh, health insurers, telcos, airlines, all sorts of people. So it was really interesting, the sort of those early days of cybersecurity. And perhaps you might describe your average adversary then as like a clever guy in the back room that wants to show how clever he is, you know, show, show off his techniques, but but largely interested in just you know, exploring how they can break systems rather than trying to make money or trying to achieve some other larger aim. But that changed pretty quickly. And basically in 2003, we saw this massive wave of attacks against internet banks. And Australia was one of the first banks in the world, amongst the the first banks in the world to be impacted, the Commonwealth Bank in particular, which was our largest bank at the time. And it it really made me realise that it's very important to understand that the changing nature of the the threat actors themselves, because it really changes the threat. From that, I actually ended up going back back to university and doing my PhD. And I looked at those uh, attacks from those those groups back in 2003, and they were basically out of Russia and Ukraine. 
And yeah, that was very interesting to understand more about the actors themselves, what changed, what was what was driving them. And, and from that, I basically moved into understanding more about threat actors. And I, I wrote about the, the concept of a threat actor strategy, where you basically think about okay, who, what threat actors interested you as a as a as an organization or as a as a nation state? What are their capabilities? You know, how how might you defend against them? And, and thinking in terms of the threat and the threat actors. Yeah, that's fascinating. And you know, you've got a very diverse background and 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 many many years looking at this evolving issue, this sort of asymmetric threat that many industries face now. You know, cyber threats in in the in this in the maritime industry seem to be a critical area of focus in your research. You know, this is an evolving problem. How significant do you think is it at this moment in time for ship owners to be mindful of? I, I think it's it's very significant, but I think I think the the big concern is the is the future potential, and and that and that's the problem. So we've done we've done work around trying to tr- track how many incidents have occurred. And we understand the, the, the history of, attempt, uh, of, of attacks within the maritime sector. And I, and I think that there's a, a large number of incidents happening both with nation state actors involved, but also with cyber criminals. And, and the thing is, is that the critical issues that, that a cyber attack might impact on a, in, a, in the maritime environment are probably a bit more concerning. So I, I suppose if you had a ransomware attack against Business, land-based business, they're going to be able. To, they're not going to be able to do, say it's a bank. So they say they have a ransomware attack. They maybe they can't transact. They're going to lose some money. But if a ransomware attack on a ship means that the, the crew can't control the ship, you know, and they could you know run into something, they could sink. You know, there's all sorts of safety issues. And at the same time, that sort of ability to impact maritime trade is something that's very attractive to the state actors. I mean, you think about traditional wars. Um, you know, we used to blockade harbours. You know, you'd put your ships outside a harbour to blockade, and that was actually it's still considered an act of war. You could do that with cyber. I mean, that's it's it's quite a valid way of actually blockading a harbour. You could do it over the wire. So, so I think the the challenge is, is there's definitely a large number of attacks. There's a low level of maturity within the industry. You know, the, as as you well know, the ships are typically quite old. The equipment on them is quite old. There's a very small window to actually update systems. So in terms of what we call security hygiene, the maritime sector is doing quite poorly. So they present a very tempting target for threat actors, basically because of this low, but also at the same time, the, the potential to cause quite a significant impact. Yeah, I would agree with all of what, what you've just said there. And I think, you know, just knowing what I know from the, the maritime industry, the, the industry hasn't been great on the whole, over the years for sharing data. And, and data is such a big part of, of, of our lives these days and, and how we assess risk. Um, I see from the research we've done prior to this podcast that the University NHL Stenden, where you are a professor, have developed the, what they call the Maritime Cyber, Cyber Attack Database. What, what, what was the inspiration behind this project? And are you getting much, um, much assistance from ship owners to, to provide real-time advice on on real-time attacks on board their vessel? So, yeah, so the, the sort of the history of, of MCAT, as we call it, is really when I came into the job two and a half years ago, there was not a lot of information about to indicate the very question you asked before about, you know, how, how, big, it, how big a threat is it, what attacks have occurred, how serious are they? So I decided a very early uh, research project for us would actually to build a collection of open-source 
information about cyber attacks that have occurred. And basically, I think we've got about 170 now in the database that go right back to 2001. And they're, they're quite varied. Probably a little over a third involve vessels, a lot involve ports. There's lots of other infrastructure, things like wind farms, oil rigs, that sort of thing that have been impacted, other port facilities that have been impacted. You've got a range of threat actors, as I sort of mentioned, you've got nation states, um, you've got criminal groups that are looking to make a profit by various means, uh, and, and sometimes individuals. One one really interesting case, which I always talk to people about, is the US Navy had a, had a one of their online systems hacked by someone, and the NCIS, which are the guys that you see on TV, they investigated it. They worked out the attack was actually coming from a US aircraft carrier in the Atlantic Ocean. So the attack was coming from a, not to, but from an aircraft carrier. So they flew onto this aircraft carrier and they worked out that it was one of the system administrators on the aircraft carrier. And the systems administrator was a hacker and he was hacking all these systems you know, from, from, his, from his desk on the ship. And it turned out he was the system administrator for the nuclear reactor for that aircraft carrier. So, I mean, that's just, a, just a, an example of, you know, you'd never imagine one that in a Navy environment would be prone to that or that someone, you know, that's obviously got security clearance would be doing that. But that's what you got to remember is these sort of insider attacks, which we talk about, you know, in land-based environments, that can happen at, at sea as well. And, 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 and that's just a... So it's a great example of you could have a very open mind, but in terms of these sort of attacks. Yeah, that's that's eye opening. You don't realise that you know people who are there to protect you may be actually the the threat actors, as you say. So yeah, alongside this maritime cyber attack database project, we understand that you've been developing what you refer to as a honey net slash fake ship project, designed to better understand the attack vectors of cyber threats on ships. Can you explain the thinking around this project and how lessons learned will inform real-life simulations and, and, and potential learning opportunities? Yeah, so, so basically, um, you know, we developed the MCAD based on open source incidents. So basically, that's, that, that's, I mean, that's a subset in terms of information. Not everyone's you know, publicly acknowledged attacks. That, that information is not necessarily available. So you're only looking at a, at a subset of what's actually occurred. That's just the reality, and that's... That's that's not just a maritime industry thing. That's right through all industries in terms of cyber attacks. There isn't necessary, you know, a lot short of 100% visibility of those incidents. Plus, they're historical. So we're looking at something that's quite old often without a lot of detailed forensic information available necessarily. So sometimes there is. There might be court documents, that sort of thing. But usually it's, it's reasonably uh, limited. So we thought to, to to actually add to what we have in MCAD is we would actually develop what looks to a hacker like a ship. So basically, it, it, it's a, in terms of it's like a not a digital twin, but basically, you know, to 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 a to an adversary to someone coming in, it's got all the aspects of a ship that you'd expect if you were coming in, you know, via the internet or via a connection. So you can see you can see the bridge systems, you can you can come through the the satellite connection. There's email going around. There's, you know, all sorts of OT and, and IT systems you'd expect in a ship environment. And the idea is, is we want to see what these hackers are actually doing right now. So basically, you know, running this system, we can actually see, okay, are they blind, blindly scanning for everything, which tends to indicate that they've got no particular interest or they're very focused on particular devices. Um, we used to 
one honey nets in the banking environment were always very interested in attackers that were looking at the the administration ports on the firewalls because obviously they were they were very a lot smarter than the ones that were just scanning every address. So so looking at their behaviours, but also we uh, we know that there's malware, so so actual code written specifically to attack uh, technologies, and we're looking to see if we can get copies of that that are, that are being used by these attackers. So the idea is we have the historical information. And then we also have this live information about what hackers are doing right now in terms of ships. Fascinating. So, so coming back to real-time incidents, you, rec- you, you one of the incidents you recorded involved location spoofing, I think, for yep. NATO vessels. So back back to the military yep. again. Yep. Can you elaborate um, on that, perhaps, and and share some of the uh, some yeah. of the other notable incidents, perhaps, from your database? Sure, yeah, and the, and the one you mentioned, it's a really interesting case with the two NATO ships in, in Odessa. And so in 2021, um, a Netherlands Navy and a British Navy vessel went on a visit to Ukraine and they were essentially there to exercise, you know, the freedom of the seas. And the the Russian Coast Guard actually came out and um, tried to warn them off and there was a, a bit of interaction at sea and the and the... The Russian vessel fought, fought, actually fired its, fired its, its main armament. Just it, it was nowhere near the British vessel, but it was within sight. So there was this kinetic sort of conflict between Russia and Britain in the Black Sea. This is prior to the most recent invasion. And then what played out was a cyber aspect of this very same conflict. So basically, the two the two ships went to Odessa and were alongside in Odessa. And then all of a sudden, their IIS tracks started to travel out of Odessa all the way into Sebastopol, which is obviously a, a Russian Navy base. They hadn't, in fact, not moved. This was just a provocation by, by Russian military intelligence. But I think it's a, it's a great example, one, of what can be done to, 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 you know, to do naval vessels that are actually on, on operational duties and, and the potential for, you know, an incident as a result of that, but also this this thing between kinetic attacks and cyber attacks and and like if you look at if you look at right now in the, in the Persian Gulf and, and there's been a number of incidents involving ships Houthi rebels have gone on a helicopter and taken over a ship and there's some some speculation that that ship may have had been had its AIS track spoofed to to so so it couldn't be located so it's because it went off AIS AIS signal went off before it was actually attacked and there was an Iranian spy vessel just near it at the time. So there's this thing between there might be some sort of cyber, uh, kinetic attacks of some, in the physical world and there'll be a cyber attack with it. And that's the thing is cyber is just another domain of warfare for, for militaries. Just like, you know, you know, back in 1914, all of a sudden air became a, a domain. They, you know, they had, they had land and sea, but now, they had, so, but now cyber is another domain. So basically it's another place where, Nations can do things, and you think about the the criticality of, you know, the maritime industry in terms of of the global economy and in, in terms of national security, and and it's naturally going to be targeted in these situations. And and so so I mentioned you know the in the Gulf, but also we see incidents in the in the South China Sea. Obviously, the Chinese have got a very advanced cyber capability, and and they're using it. And an interesting story, which 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 wasn't true, but it was just shows that a level of paranoia in the U.S. military is you, you'd, you'd remember. I think it was 2017. Two U.S. Navy ships had collisions in the Pacific, and there were a number of crew killed. 
They actually investigated whether it was a, a cyber attack by the Chinese. It turned out not to be. It turned out to be human error. But that's the level of paranoia around using cyber in these in these situations, in these geopolitical situations. Yeah, uh, I think that is the direction of travel that most most cyber underwriters and risk analysts are concerned about the sort of cyber domain, you know, creating physical damage in the real world, as it were, you know. So rather than just, you know, hacking computers or it's actually changing, you know, putting putting people's lives at risk. And, you yeah. know, the example, and the example you gave, I guess, with the spoofing of the AIS is you could, you could create sort of deep fake provocation of some sort of warfare type activity, right? Um, exactly. Assets from, from another nation state entering your waters or ports or appearing to do so yeah, yeah. could create retaliation. Um, if not properly investigated. So, you know, that, that whole deep fake thing is, is quite worrying as well in terms of, you know, the provocation side of, of what cyber attackers could, could do and create. I mean, yeah, it's very worrisome if you take it to the nth degree. Um, so yeah, back to your database. I mean, it sounds like a really worthwhile project. I mean, how do you think that it might change the landscape uh, for maritime cybersecurity as we know it currently? So, so basically, it's, it's it's freely available. So it's 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 uh, connected by our website, and we've got a OS app and an app that you can download for free. It's it's freely available. I mean, the, the, one of the ideas was it that we wanted to provide this information to the community, so people could see what incidents are happening. They could you know, they could look in there. It's all based on a map. Um, people that actually look at it, and you can sort of see where the incidents are, and but by, by and, and look by year and that sort of thing. So you can get a, a good feeling. Uh, we've got a bit more information in our database, but, and we're just working out, you know, perhaps enhancing the the capabilities of it. But I think it's firstly and for, foremost about security awareness, giving that security awareness to organisations. And I already know talking to a number of people, it's been used. I know I know some insurers are looking at it. I know the US Navy Academy are using it in some of their training, and, and the US Coast Guard, obviously the in the Netherlands, all of our partners are using it as well. So I think it's. That firstly, it's really an important thing in terms of giving that awareness and that source of information about incidents. So selfishly for us, it's really good because basically it drives our other research. And one of our primary areas of interest is looking at cyber attacks in our bridge simulator in Terskelling in the Northern Netherlands and seeing the impact it has on a crew, like when a cyber attack occurs. And by having this collection of real incidents, we can replay those. So, you know, we're not trying to make up some fancy scenario. We're actually doing something that's actually happened and, and we can see how it plays out. And those sort of simulations are really useful because, one, it gives us the ability to actually give crews the experience of what it's like to have a cyber attack occur, like, you know, what's actually going to happen, the level of confusion. Two, one of the issues in, in any cyber attack is communicating what's happening to you, getting assistance. And we actually work with the Netherlands Coast Guard. We We ran... Uh, firstly, an incident using the bridge simulators, and then we ran an in, in, uh, the same incident, but using their control center. So they're going to be control center of the Netherlands Coast Guard, where six ships were impacted at the same time by, by a large cyber attack, and, and then they had to work through this scenario. So it's, in terms of our research, having this collection of incidents feeds all that, makes it real. Because one of the things about simulations exercise, you need to make them as close to reality as possible. I mean... You know, we don't, they're not exactly the same. We might blend to, but but large anything that happens in an exercise we run has actually happened in real life. 
So you spoke about the app there that people can access. I mean, mm. do you want to give some people direction on how to find that? I mean, is it interactive? Can people submit their data through the app or how does that work? Yeah, so, so there's an ability to actually submit incidents or if there's detail that we don't have that people know about, they can submit it through the app. And also on our website, there's a there's a, 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 a an address you can send stuff to as well. But yeah, the, it, within the app, there's an ability to, to submit things. So if 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 you go onto the either the Android or the Apple mobile app store, you just type in MCAD MCAD, and then uh, that should come up. It might not be the first thing to come up. If you type in, I know I'm, I use an iPhone myself. If you type in MCAD and then education, it'll come up first. So so back to really the you know the content here. So with, with technology rapidly evolving, how do you see the future of cybersecurity in the in the maritime industry evolving? I think it's interesting because uh, obviously it's good that the more modern equipment's on ships, but it's sort of two-edged sword because the problem is a lot more equipment's being managed from f- remotely, which opens more opportunities for attackers to actually impact systems. And uh, uh, an example, it wasn't a cyber attack, it was just an accident. One, one of the large ferries that runs to the uh, one of the coastal islands here in the Netherlands, which is like a you know cut, cutting-edge catamaran, uh, was going along all of a sudden the engine cut out and they were just dead in the water. They didn't know quite what happened. What had actually happened was is that the manufacturers of the motor had pushed new software for the motor. And unfortunately, they pushed the wrong software. So it just killed it dead in the water. So basically it took them about half an hour to work out what happened. It was just an accident. But this is this is the this is modern maritime technology. You've got people you know pushing updates or ships are at sea, you know, on all sorts of different technology. And that and that creates an opportunity for attackers. And and you don't have to look far for where that's been done. You'd know about NotPetya and Maersk. That was basically the same thing. Basically, they got a an update into an update server for a p- particular bit of software called Medox, and that had malware in it. And, and then when all the legitimate users went to that update site, they all got impacted. And that was like, yeah, probably one of the biggest cyber attacks in the world that we, we refer to as a supply chain attack. But you can get into those updates quite easily if you compromise the the, the source, and that and that's been done. That's that that's 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 been done a number of times. So so that that's the great challenge. You know, you, you know, we're relying more on remote um, management of devices on ships, and, and at the same time, that's making them more vulnerable. It's interesting too. A lot of maritime technology is still actually even though it's brand new, actually sits on old operating systems. You know, there's a lot of, because there's obviously a cost in upgrading some of them. So there's, you see a lot of, often surprises us working in IT, when you go onto ships, they've got brand new systems, but running on, on outdated OS. So so that's a problem too. So so I, th- I think as much as, you know, it's good that updating equipment, there's also new risks being introduced by it. Yeah, I mean, that begs lots of questions, really. I mean, that legacy software issue or hardware issues is, is a problem and you know i mean back to the days when i was at sea we had radio officers and they got made redundant then we had etos electrotechnical officers i'm not sure whether there's a need for some sort of digital officer now some you know almost digital protection officer uh, on board ships with the the way in which technology is evolving and you know the the dependencies you have on it and ot systems but when you talk there about you know the update uh blacking out the ship as a consequence of the uh, incorrect update going to that particular vessel. I mean, are, are there any measures in place to sort of prevent updates occurring when vessels are on standby, i.e. in manoeuvring mode? I mean, 
Yeah, and it's, and it's and it's very very shallow there. Like it's actually quite dangerous. You know, it's not it's not like open waters really. It's I, I, to be honest, I, when I heard that story, I, I never thought that would ever happen. So that came as a total surprise to me. So, but um, yeah, so 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 clearly that situation they're not looking at that. But I mean that I mean to me that would be a classic. You would you would never push an update when it when a ship's not you know tied to the dock. I mean to me that that that, that seems logical. But but again, I mean. The problem is they don't necessarily foresee these issues, and the problem is these are the if it's possible to do it in this situation accidentally, it's possible for an attacker wanting to do it at the worst possible time. You know, so you know you think about the ever given up. It, you know, you, you do a cyber attack that causes exactly the same impact on the Suez Canal as, as that. Like, you don't have to think too much about how you might cause that. No, absolutely. Well, it's been incredibly insightful talking to you. I mean, I, I normally use this question towards the end of these these conversations with cyber experts. So before we wrap up, do you have any advice for companies, governments even, on how to better prepare for these kinds of cyber threats in the maritime domain? And that's a big question, but I mean, is there any particular key points you think? Yeah, I, I think it's really, and I suppose I'm, I'm going to promote my own research along, along the way, but I think it's really important to understand the, the nature of the threats and what's happened. I think that's a really important information to, to inform people about about the potential, what's going to happen in the future. You know, it's, it's, you, know, you, know, you always look, look to the past to sort of try and understand what's going to happen in the future. I think it's really important to appreciate that cyber attacks are going to happen. You know, we can do, I mean, there's a lot of good defensive stuff we can do. You know, I talked about security hygiene, that sort of thing. But in the end, attacks will happen. And, that, and that's the reality. And every industry has seen that. I don't think any industry has been immune. So we have to be ready for those incidents to occur. And, and the best and cheapest thing you can do to help yourself is run a few exercises. I think that's that's the best thing. You know, step through what you do in a cyber you know, a cyber attack. Who would you talk to? Who would help you? I mean, you, you learn so much in an exercise. You don't want to try and learn that when a real incident's happening. I think that's I think that's a, a, mis- a terrible mistake to make. And I think even if People have got plans in place. How often are they actually looked at in terms of how they work? I mean, you know, in my cybersecurity consulting career, like we've done a lot of work with all sorts of companies, some very advanced, and sometimes pe- critical people that are going to respond to a cyber incident have never even met each other until you run the, uh, run the exercise, you know. So I think exercises are really, really critical. Um, I think, too, we have to just think carefully about the, the nature of, of the evolving threats from nation states. I think that's a particular problem area. I think sometimes we get a bit um, distracted by cyber criminals in that the their attacks are usually, I mean, you think about a, a ransomware attack, it, it announces itself, but it's the, it's the insidious attacks by, by nation states that are like you don't know about that are going to, the problem's going to happen at the worst possible moment. They're the ones we probably want to be really concerned about. In a way, the ransomware attackers are doing us a favor because it's actually giving you a bit of a, okay, you need to do something like it's a, it's a wake up call. The, the nation states aren't going to do that. Thank you. That's the, that's some great advice. Um, excellent stuff. Stephen, thank you for joining us today and sharing your invaluable expertise. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in once again. Um, don't forget to check out our Maritime Risk podcast for future episodes on the latest threats to shipping. So until we speak again, safe seas and following winds. And uh, thank you very much, sir. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you for listening to the Maritime Risk Podcast brought to you by Shoreline Limited. 
We hope this episode has shed some light on the diverse and complex risks facing the maritime industry today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited, for their invaluable support in making this podcast possible. To access more episodes of our podcast series, visit our website at www.shoreline.bm. Remember, in the ever-changing world of maritime risk, preparation is key. Until next time, fair winds and following seas.